0: He e pūrangi nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to this hour Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. On this week's show we are looking at the science of our immune system. That's because I realise that most of us, me included, probably only have a very hazy idea of how our bodies go about fighting infection – I began to wonder exactly what does happen when we're exposed to something like Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, to give it its full name. This is, of course, SARS-CoV-2, the virus which causes COVID-19. Our expert this week is Associate Professor Jo Kerman. She's an immunologist at the University of Otago, And she talked to me from her home in Dunedin to me at my home in Wellington. I started at the very beginning. When we're born, what do we have in the way of an immune system? Do we have anything? We do. We've got a very rudimentary immune system, I suppose,
1: or an underdeveloped immune system. So when we're born, we actually get a lot of antibodies from our mother. And these are able to cross the placenta. And also we can get antibodies from our mother through breast milk as well. And that compensates for the fact that we do have this underdeveloped immune response or immune system when we're very young. And then very, very quickly we start to develop our own very complex system and there's lots of different arms to it. And I kind of think of it as an orchestra. If you think of it as an orchestra and there's lots of different instruments playing and they all work together to make the music... And initially our orchestra might be missing a few fundamental sections and we compensate for that with our maternal antibody. But then we develop our own orchestra and we're able to fight the infection with a complete immune system. And that can sometimes take a year to uh, fully develop. So that immune system that we're born with, is that what's called the innate immune system? We have elements of the innate immune system, but even our innate immune system isn't fully developed as a neonate. So we've got two arms of the immune system. We have our innate immune system, which is very fast-acting, but it's not particularly specific, so it will have the same kind of response against a broad range of different disease-causing organisms. And then we've got our very, very highly specific adaptive immune system, and most people would have heard of T-cells because of HIV, so they've heard of CD4 T-cells. And there's also B-cells, which make the antibody that most of us have heard of as well. So these T and B-cells are part of the adaptive immune system, and they do take a while to develop in a young child, but eventually we end up with, if you're thinking of it kind of as an army, you end up with a vast array of different soldiers and are each able to fight a specific... Organism
0: or a specific disease causing microorganism. So, we've got this orchestra or this army, whatever analogy you want to use. Can we look at some of the main characters in that? I mean, how would you start to uh, describe to people what the different components are? Well, the way I look at it is
1: the first thing that happens if you get an infection, and that can be a bacterial infection or a virus infection. The first cells that will encounter that and start to respond are cells from the innate immune system. So they are the cells that are ready, they are there, positioned to respond very, very quickly and help to sometimes completely clear that infection so you never even need to develop an adaptive immune response. A lot of the cells are phagocytic. and. Phagocytic cells um, are cells that like to eat things, so they're almost like vacuum cleaners of the immune system, so they just go around sucking things up. So cells like a macrophage, which just basically means big eater, that cell basically functions to gobble up other infected cells or bacterial cells, and then they digest those and destroy the organism as they're doing so. And other cells that are very important, and you might hear about people having neutrophil accounts in their blood. And neutrophils are very similar as well. They're, again, these little vacuum cleaners that function to go around the body and just engulf any pathogens that we encounter. And neutrophils are also really cool because they can spit stuff out and create things called nets, which basically trap organisms as well. So these are cells of the innate immune system, and are the ones that are going to come in first and help limit the infection. And sometimes it's enough to completely stop the infection, but if it's not, then we've got this second layer of defense, which is the adaptive immune system. And the adaptive immune system takes a lot longer to develop, so it can take days rather than just minutes that the innate immune system takes. And the adaptive immune system is very, very specific, so it will be tailored to not only a particular virus, but a particular protein in a particular virus, and a particular part of that particular protein. So it's very, very, very specific.
0: So those phagocytes that you mentioned, the the neutrophils, the macrophages, the cleanup brigade, the bacteria attack brigade, they're white blood cells, are they? Yes, so
1: they are white blood cells. So they circulate in our blood. The macrophages initially start out as cells called monocytes and they circulate in our blood and then when they move into the tissues they change into these cells called macrophages. So if I um, get a scratch on my skin there will be macrophages that are located just underneath the skin that are able to respond to that and they can come into an area where there's inflammation as well. So they can leave the blood and move into a site of infection and enact their responses. And these innate cells, they can act very, very quickly, so just within a few minutes.
0: Well, they sound a bit like our first responders, our paramedics that come rushing to help at the first instance. Oh,
1: that's a really nice analogy, actually. That's exactly what they would be like. And obviously with our paramedics, sometimes they're able to solve the problem on the spot but sometimes they need to take you to the hospital and take you in for further treatment. And one other thing that you could extend that analogy with is the paramedics, when they take you to the hospital, have a nice discussion with the doctors at the hospital and explain what is happening. And the innate immune system talks to the adaptive immune system as well. So you get that nice discussion between the
0: innate immune system and the adaptive immune system. Wow. So the adaptive immune system, where does that live in your body? So white blood cells are mostly a blood thing. What about the adaptive immune system? Where does that hang out? The immune system is everywhere, but the adaptive immune system, the cells
1: of the adaptive immune system develop in different parts of your body. So T cells develop in the thymus, which is located in the thoracic cavity. And it's a very weird organ because When you're younger, it's quite large, and as you get older, it actually involutes or shrinks. So it becomes quite small by the time you're my age, which we won't talk about, but for at least the first 20 to 30 years of your life, you've got this really nice thymus, and then it will shrink and become less functional. And the thymus is where T-cells basically go to school, so they get educated, and they get taught how to become a good T-cell. So to be a good T-cell, you've got to have a receptor on your surface that is able to recognize parts of a pathogen, or what, and we call that antigen. And if the T-cell is unable to recognize that, or if they recognize self-proteins as antigens, and we don't want to recognize ourself as something that's a, an invader or we start to get autoimmune disease, so if they start to do that, then they fail their schooling. And this is a very, very tough school because only about 10% of those T-cells are actually going to pass the exam and the 90% that fail end up dying. So it's a very, very tough school but 10% of those T-cells pass their exam in the thymus and they're allowed to go out and then they wander throughout the body and they actually spend their days patrolling the body so they circulate between the blood and the lymph And out into the tissues and then back around so they circulate around and around the body every day and our b cells they develop in the bone marrow and like t-cells once they've developed and matured they too circulate throughout the body through the blood and the lymph every day now do t-cells come in different types there are two main types There's a CD4 T cell and a CD8 T cell. And we think of the CD8 T cell as a killer T cell. And if we're talking about virus responses, we think about CD8 T cells perhaps being able to come along and kill a cell that's infected with a virus. And because we know that for a virus to replicate it needs a cell, it needs to hijack that cell's machinery in order to replicate, if you've got a CD8 T cell that can come along and kill it, it can stop that virus replicating.
0: So it can recognise that the cell is infected with viruses and then it just whacks the whole cell? Exactly.
1: It's not great for that one cell, but but it can limit the infection. So it can recognise that a cell is infected with a virus, but it specifically recognises which virus too. So one T cell is able to cause an effect against only one type of virus or one type of pathogen. It's very, very, very specific.
0: So over the course of your lifetime, your body learns a whole lot of viruses, in this case, that it's been exposed to. And so then in, in the T-cell school, it's, some of them are trained in this type of virus, some of them are being trained in the next type of virus, and so on.
1: The interesting thing is that when a T-cell is being educated in the thymus, The way that it gets educated is that you get kind of a mix-and-match approach to the genes that encode the receptor that is present on the top of the T-cell. And that mix-and-matching means that every T-cell just about ends up with its own unique type of T-cell receptor. And we want to make T-cells that we know are able to recognize something, but we also don't want those T-cells to recognize ourselves. And so those cells that leave the thymus are able to recognise something, but we don't know what. And it's just purely by chance, because there's so many different types of T-cells that we make over the course of our life, that some of those T-cells are actually going to be able to recognise that particular virus. So killer T-cells, you said there was another kind of T-cell? There are. So the other type of T-cell is called the CD4 T-cell, and they're helper T-cells. And helper T-cells can do a couple of different things. They work by making cytokines, and cytokines are basically molecular communicators. So they are able to send messages from one cell to another. So those cytokines might say to a killer T-cell, start proliferating and make more of yourself because there's a virus here. Or they might come up to a macrophage and say, Macrophage, activate your antiviral responses because there's a virus coming. Or they might go up to a B cell and say, make more antibody and make this particular type of antibody because this is going to be the best way to fight this infection. So it's a way of cells communicating um, between each other. So there's different types of um, helper T cells, but they basically function to either help antibody responses or help T cell responses.
0: You also mentioned earlier B cells. Tell me a bit more about B cells.
1: so B cells are very, very cool cells. they are like T cells, they've undergone some genetic rearrangement at that cell level so that each of them has a B cell receptor that is specific for one particular organism or one particular part of a protein and These B cells are able to make antibody, they're able to differentiate into cells or change into cells that are able to make lots and lots and lots of antibody. And that B cell receptor that they've got on their surface is exactly the same specificity as the antibody that they produce. So if they get activated by a particular protein, they're going to make lots and lots of antibody that recognizes that same protein. So B cells are highly critical because antibodies, as we know, are really, really important. They're able to bind to disease-causing organisms, whether it's bacteria or viruses, and they can completely neutralise them, so they can stop them infecting other cells or they can um, inhibit their function. So they're really, really useful. And B cells are able to expand in our bodies, so they expand in these places called germinal centres, which are in lymph nodes or in your spleen, And so if you've had a cold or some kind of flu, you might have noticed that you've got swollen glands or swollen lymph nodes. And that's really your B cells starting to proliferate. So they divide and divide and divide and make many, many more of themselves. And they keep producing lots and lots of antibody that can fight that infection. And then as you start to get over that infection, your lymph nodes start coming back down because that germinal center is contracting And I guess one really important thing about the adaptive immune system is it has something that we call memory. So it's able to remember an infection, and the next time you get that infection, it can respond more quickly to that infection, and it has the right type of response straight away. So that immune memory that we get, we like to think of as, I guess, the basis for vaccination, because we can vaccinate people, prime their memory response And then when they actually see that disease-causing organism, they're able to respond really, really fast and in a very appropriate way so that they can clear that pathogen, sometimes without experiencing any symptoms or disease at all.
0: Now, what happens in the case of something like the coronavirus that causes COVID-19? Obviously, it's come essentially out of nowhere and we've had no exposure to it. So if you get exposed to it um, because it's a virus, talk me through the specific things that will be happening in your body based on what you've already told me about.
1: I'll preface this with the fact that because SARS coronavirus 2 is very, very new for us, a lot of the research that I'm going to be talking about relates to the original SARS epidemic in 2002-2003 because we have a lot of data that's been generated from that particular coronavirus. And at least at the genetic level, it's quite highly related to the coronavirus that we've got circulating now. But because, of course, of the newness of this pandemic, we haven't had the chance to do a lot of research on that particular virus at the moment. What we do know is that the innate immune system kicks in very, very quickly. And as you will have seen, there's a spectrum of disease. So some individuals have barely any symptoms. Some individuals develop a cough or a cold. And some individuals go on to develop severe disease. So that spectrum of disease that we see is related to the type of immune response that a particular person is inducing and how effective that immune response is at clearing the disease or the the virus. So we know we've got innate immune response that can kick in and those initial symptoms that people experience, so the fever, That is part of the initial immune response where we have the production of um, immune hormones that are known as pyrogens which cause our hypothalamus to reset our internal body temperature and we have a fever. And it's thought that a fever can be helpful for fighting an infection so it can potentially increase the effectiveness of our immune system. So we'll have lots of cells like neutrophils coming in And you start to get some of those um, symptoms. The stronger the innate immune response is, the more symptoms that you'll have. And if the individual is able to clear the virus very quickly, then that will be self-limiting and you won't get any more symptoms. But if the infection continues, you will start to get an adaptive immune response. And that's when you start making antibody. And it is thought that in some individuals that antibody... Response is actually leading to disease enhancement. And that tends to occur in some patients that have early but suboptimal antibody responses and they are not able to completely clear the virus and so they have this kind of persistent viral infection which goes on and on. But they can also have a sustained inflammatory response. And that inflammatory response then leads to this disease that we see Whether the the patients are starting to get huge amounts of lung inflammation and are struggling to breathe. So it is a really complicated system because obviously you want your immune system to be effective and working so that you can clear the infection. But you do not want to have an exacerbated or overactive immune response where you start to see some of this enhancement of disease and, I guess, an over-exuberant inflammatory response. So I think... One of the more important things is going to be the type of antibody that we produce and the type of B cells that we have that are responding to the infection and how effectively they do that and generating correct antibody responses to limit that type of exacerbation of disease that we see.
0: So that over-response, is that what's it called a cytokine storm that I've read about?
1: In many patients there has been an increase in a lot of pro-inflammatory cytokine levels in their serum. And that I guess is, can be termed a cytokine storm Where you're getting much much higher cytokine levels than normal And that leads to greater inflammation in the tissues So yes that, that is a cytokine storm And there's a lot of data that shows that the sicker the patient The more cytokines they are producing in this pandemic So it suggests that these patients have an exuberant inflammatory response
0: Another thing I've read about in relation to COVID-19 is talk of, and it's to do with antibody vaccines and things like that, something called IgG and IgM. As a B cell starts to
1: make an immune response, its initial antibody that it produces is IgM. And that is a particular type of antibody that is actually released as a pentamer. So there's five different antibodies joined together. And as the immune response goes on, a couple of things happen. And one thing is that the B cell is able to make antibody that's more and more specific to that particular pathogen. And it does that by introducing point mutations in its genetic code that encode for the receptor that it is expressing. And the better that receptor is, the more signal it gets. And so it knows that it's made a good receptor and it has is able to proliferate more and make more of itself. And so as the time goes by when you've got an infection, you're making antibody that is more and more and more specific, so better and better quality antibody over the course of the infection. But one other thing that happens too is that the class of antibody switches. So you initially start making IgM, which is that pentameric structure, and then you then class switch and start making IgG. And IgG is the type of antibody that can cross the placenta. So as I was talking about maternal transfer of antibody, you can get IgG that can go across the placenta and it will circulate throughout the body. The type of antibody that's likely to be very useful for fighting this particular virus is IgA. And IgA is a type of antibody that you find in mucosal surfaces. So that's places like your lungs, for example, and your um, respiratory lining. IgA is likely to be very important because it is critical for protecting you against respiratory pathogens. So it's likely that we really want to be making IgA. Now, you don't tend to detect lots of IgA in, in the serum, in the blood, if you're taking a blood sample, whereas
0: you're more likely to detect IgG and IgM. So all that we have a lot to be thankful for Particularly we should also mention our first line of defence of course The fact that we're covered with skin And we, we do have things like tears and earwax and everything else That's trying to stop the virus getting in in the first place Exactly And
1: even in our respiratory secretions We've actually got tons and tons and tons of molecules That are present in our respiratory secretions That are designed to fight pathogens and protect us so our immune system, we've got our physical barriers, which is the lining of our mucosal tract, and our skin. But we also have chemical barriers as well, so they're able to protect us. Like our skin is quite acidic, which is unpleasant for many pathogens that want to come in into our bodies. And we also have lots of um, enzymes that are present in our sweat and tears and in our mucus that we secrete that are able to... Um, kill pathogens as well. So it's a really, really important kind of first line of defence that we have. And then our innate immune system comes in, and that's really, really critical as well. And for many people, that's enough. But for some people, we need our adaptive immune system.
0: Jo, what about vaccines?
1: For immunologists thinking about the particular virus that we're facing, so the SARS-CoV-2 virus, One thing when we're thinking about making vaccines against this virus, so you exploiting that memory immune response, is that we really want to make sure we're going to be inducing the correct immune response. And so a lot of care is being taken to make sure that that vaccine would not trigger more inflammation than we would want. So we're working very hard to make a vaccine that will prevent disease or minimise disease, rather than one that will exacerbate disease. And so that is why it's really important that we have to go through this whole procedure of clinical trials and preclinical trials before we're able to get a vaccine into production. So that kind of explains that big lag that we're going to face.
0: It does sound as if there's a number of different kinds of vaccines being looked at, though.
1: Oh, there are. And I think one thing that we have to be grateful for is the original SARS epidemic that occurred in 2002-2003 because that has given us a huge number of tools and also a lot of preliminary work has been done looking at vaccines that could work in that situation and so we're able to now take those vaccines and use the information that we have to apply to the SARS coronavirus too. and there's a lot of different and new and exciting vaccines that potentially could be produced very quickly. For example, the very first vaccine that we've got in clinical trial is this lipid-encapsulated RNA, and that type of vaccine would be very quick to manufacture. We haven't used it yet um, in humans before, so that's a new and exciting thing, but if it does work, then I think that would be something that you could very, very quickly apply to the situation because you could get lots of it very, very quickly. And I guess also one other tool that we can look at as well is using anti-inflammatories to treat this disease. So thinking um, carefully about how this disease kind of works and one thing that we see in individuals who have coronavirus is that they have um, a lot of lymphocyte death. So that's white blood cell death. So their T cells and their B cells tend to have decreased in their blood. And one mechanism for that is a type of cell death called pyrotosis and pyrotosis is basically a type of programmed cell death that occurs during inflammation and we know that that can potentially or that type of reaction can actually predict the development potentially of developing this severe coronavirus disease so if we can think of ways of how we can limit pyrotosis and that usually happens by activating something called an inflammasome, which is present in innate immune cells. And if we can look at ways of perhaps inhibiting that inflammasome, we could also come up with new therapeutics that are targeting that immune response to try and make a better immune response.
0: Thanks, Joe. And Joe Kerman is in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the University of Otago. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ First Ed on the 9th of April 2020. You can listen again at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Changing World. And you'll also find my other recent stories there that give some scientific background to the coronavirus pandemic, the science of soap, and Virus 101, the science of viruses. While you're there, why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? Our Changing World is, of course, available 24-7 on your favourite podcast app, ASA's RNZ's Coronavirus Podcast. Stay in touch. We're on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Take care and do keep washing your hands. Catch you next time. Kia paitora.